In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present among us here in the most blessed sacrament. We are, Lord, celebrating these days, this octave of your resurrection. Uh, and, and the whole church celebrates, not just for one day, but for, for a whole week, um, that you, you rose from the dead. And, and Easter is, is this time, right? Easter is, is 50 days, right? The octave is this one week. And then Easter is these, these 50 days where we really um, celebrate and bask in, Lord, your gift, um, your, your triumph, your victory. I was uh, recently in a situation where I, I heard a priest complaining because people were asking him, Father, how was your Easter? How was your Easter? And he, um, he would get all upset. And this was after the fact. He, he was complaining. Like, how, how was my Easter? It still is Easter, right? Don't, don't rob me of Easter. It's, it's Easter um, all the way, for the whole season. It's specifically for this octave. And then, and then in another way, this whole Easter season. So he, he got really upset, right? It's a normal thing. People ask a priest on Monday or Tuesday after after Easter Sunday, like, how was your Easter? And uh, this, this priest, kind of knowing the Easter season, would, would um, be hurt, not hurt by that, but he would, he would be um, kind of frustrated. It happened, it's like, no, it's still Easter, right? Don't deprive me of eating chocolate for the next 50 days. It's, it's Easter, right? Shortly after he complained about this publicly, and it was using it to make a point, I realized that I had said to him less than a day earlier, Hey, how was your Easter, <laughs> right? And so, okay, we all, we all um, fall into that. But I think it's a good reminder uh, that Easter is this whole season, this whole time with you, Lord, celebrating your resurrection. And uh, in a special way, in the Sunday, uh, the octave day of Easter, right, the eighth day, we uh, celebrate in a special way this, this appearance to, um, to your apostles, your disciples, uh, and particularly the role of St. Thomas. Now, it's a twofold thing, right? We're going to read in our Gospels weekend both about Easter night, uh, that first night, and then eight days later with regard to Thomas. So we start, you know, reading this weekend from John's Gospel, and we hear that on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Right? Peace with just the way that our Lord has um, approached. He, he found his disciples and he offers them peace. Peace be with you. Right? And, and we don't get the sense, 
you know, it's, there's definitely triumph at Easter, right? There's the, the stone being rolled away. Again, in some other conversations with priests, someone was asking, like, well, what, what do you think the resurrection looked like, like from inside the tomb, right? What did it look like? Um, the Shroud of Turin was so lit that it became a, a photographic negative. Uh, and so the amount of, of light and other energy that had to go into to making that happen. And, and this priest's like, yeah, I think it was big. Like, I think it was a big, but like, there's no shrapnel. Um, so we, we want to think like a resurrection, like boom, explosion. That's uh, maybe as Americans... That's our thing, like something's big. Boom, it has to be an explosion. Um, no, but it's, it's definitely triumphant. But our Lord doesn't, like we, we, we don't hear maybe the way that you would do this scene in Hollywood would be um, the disciples are there, the door is locked. Almost like a scene from um, the, the cabin in the beginning of the first Harry Potter movie, right? And just boom, Jesus breaks down the door. And... and um, there he is. No, uh, that's not at all. He, he locked doors can't keep him out. We're gonna we're gonna get to that in a few minutes. But he, um, you know, he just enters right there, and then just very gentle, right? It's that gentle embrace of our Lord. It's his his gentle action among us. Very gentle and and um, calm. Peace, peace be with you. And what is the sign? that our Lord uses, right, when he offers his peace, we hear that he showed them his hands and his side. Um, he shows them the, the wounds that he received. And they, um, this becomes the testimony, right? Because what is the price of peace? Ultimately, our peace with God. And the our peace with God then overflowing into our peace with one another? Well, it costs the life of our Savior, right? And so it's by his wounds. By his wounds we were healed. And so I'm healed, Lord, by, by the fact that you were wounded for my salvation. You were crushed um, for me. And so our Lord shows his hands. He shows his side to them um, and offers them this peace. And we hear that the disciples were glad, right? They rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus says it to them again, peace, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Right, well, how, how does the Father send the Son? Every interaction between the Father and the Son is, is eternal, and it's perfect, right? It's this perfect, eternal. The Father always sending the Son. Right? And, um, and so as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Uh, and there as well, like our, the Son, our Lord, is one who is sent, and now is one who is sent. He, he sends us, and he empowers us. And when he has said this, he breathed on them, said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive any sins, the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld, right? Receive the Holy Spirit, the, the sending of the Spirit as well. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And the Son sends the Spirit, breathes on them. 
the, the intimacy of this moment is something that, that may get overlooked, right? Because again, when we talk about the, the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it's this big, it's, it, that's a big moment, right? That's a, that's a crash and bang moment. That's something we hear that um, at Pentecost, when the crowds heard the noise, they, they came out and they wanted to see what was going on. And so, I mean, if you live in a city, for there to be something that you, a noise that's kind of so big that you are going to go check it out, right? Pentecost is a big bang moment, right? Um, but here it's, it's peaceful and it's, it's kind of quiet, but it's also, it's very intimate um, because we hear that our Lord breathes on them. And to be close enough to someone to breathe on them is, is to be pretty close, right? Normally, by New England standards, it's too close, right? That is, um, you're a bit too close if you could breathe on someone. Um, but that's, that's the closeness that our Lord, our Lord has with us in that, that quiet intimacy of the upper room. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit and empowers them for the forgiveness of sins. As the Father has sent me, so, I, so I'm sending you, right? I'm, I'm sending you. And then the story is going to continue. Because who's the first person they are sent, right? They're now, they are apostles. They're sent in imitation of the Son himself. And what's the first interaction? Well, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples, they said, we've seen the Lord, right? They tell him, we've seen the Lord. They bear witness, testimony, We've seen the Lord. That's actually what, what the majority of testimony in the Acts of the Apostles will be, is going to be Jesus rose from the dead and we saw him, right? So they, who's the first person they do apostolate with, right? Who's the first one they preach the gospel to? One of their own, Thomas, because he wasn't there. So they're sent and the first person they, they have to announce this to is, is one of their own who wasn't there, um, and so they're sent in, in even just that, that first way, right in their own group, among their friend circle. And that, I mean, for us, is, it could be an example that there are, um, where's the first place that we're sent, right? When we're sent out to, to be evangelical, to spread the gospel, the first people we should look for are those right around us, right? Those with whom we, we share life, our friends, we want to share the gospel with our friends, uh, those closest to us. And you think, okay, and this works. They're going to be pretty good at this. Um, but no, right? The very first, uh, well, the very first enunciations of the resurrection at all are a failure. The apostles don't believe the women. Um, and then now Thomas doesn't believe the apostles, Right? And so he, does, he, he won't believe them. And he puts conditions on it, right? Unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Like what a, what a strong statement, right? I will never believe. Um, not just it's going to be tough, I'm going to do what I can. It'll be an uphill battle. I'm probably going to have... No, I will never believe unless I put my finger 
into the nail mark. Um, one of the church fathers points out that Thomas, Thomas wouldn't even be content with unless I see him myself, right? But wanted the sense of touch, not just I need to see him, but I need to touch him, right? Um, more, more, even more visceral. So he's putting an even higher brother. It's not just about seeing him. I need to, I need to touch him. I need to put my finger into the mark of the nails. And there's, I mean, and now the apostles have done their apostolate, right? They've, they've announced the gospel to Thomas, the resurrection. He doesn't believe them in this very obstinate way. And then the time goes forward, eight days later, right? <laughs> On the octave day. And it could be the fruit of some of our prayer that like, what was that week like between the apostles and Thomas, right? Did they keep trying to convince him, right? Did they keep trying to say, like, Thomas, really? We saw him. Like, he's really alive. The, you know, the, again, it's a little detail. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Now that, like, the, the strength of perseverance there is incredible. Because I, I mean, just knowing myself, I'm a bit of an impatient apostle. So, um, get on board or get out, right? And if, if 11 of them are saying, or 10 of them, because Judas has died, so uh, if 10 of them and anyone else that was there, the women, probably our lady, are all saying, Thomas, we saw him. Thomas, he's alive. And Thomas says, nope, I, won't, I don't believe you. At a certain point, maybe around Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, you say, then fine, get out of here. Like, if you really don't believe us in some, we're all saying the same thing. That fundamental. Like, later, dude. Good luck. Um, and, but they don't. They don't do that. Right? They don't abandon him. And I, I think that in that, we can really, um, we can really learn that it could be very easy when we try to spread the gospel to somebody and they, they flake out, Right? or they, they just, they're just not buying it, or they even reject it, I will never believe, to say, okay, you know, move on, right? And there, there's a point to where they, when they totally reject us, right? When you go and people totally reject you, our Lord says, yeah, shake the dust, you know, move on. Um, but that has to be balanced with what we see the apostles actually do, that Thomas doesn't believe them, but they, they stick with him, right? They don't, they don't let him go. Jesus is going to be back, hopefully, right? I'm sure that they didn't know. We know the story. We know Jesus is going to show up again. Maybe they didn't know that, right? Maybe they, there was no indication that he was going to come back. Um, but Thomas is still with them. And so that whole week, which must have been incredibly awkward and difficult, and you just wonder how, like, some other people, maybe like James the Less, Jay, the two Jameses, James and James, try to, like, pull him aside, like, Thomas, look, seriously, like he's alive, right? And they keep trying to convince him and he keeps rejecting it. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas, right? At this point, Thomas sees him and he turns to Tom, and it's kind of like the, oh no moment, right? Like, okay. Maybe I really should have believed, right? Poor, 
you know, Thomas here, um, who, who is so stubborn, and put this, and Jesus turns to Thomas and says, put your finger here, right? Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand, put out your hand and place it in my side. And do not disbelieve, but believe, right? So this is it. Thomas, you set the challenge and our Lord uh, answers it. You take your finger, right? That, that's what, no. I mean, I, that, that's, that's all right. He put this huge condition. It's like, well, no, okay, Lord, I see you. Maybe that's it. But Jesus, that, that's what you said you needed? That, that sensible, that, that touch experience? Um, okay, right? Here you go. Uh, Jesus, Jesus even lowers himself in that way, right? This is even our Lord resurrected, still humbles himself. That, okay, fine, uh, that's, um, you, you, you can put your finger in, in the hole in my hand, right? You can put your hand in my side. Um, don't be disbelieving, but believe. And so the apostles, maybe it's helpful, uh, and we, we get it a, a couple times. They are failures in their first apostolic mission, right? They can't even convince their friend Thomas to believe in the resurrection. Um, but our Lord shows up, right? He's the one who shows up. He ends up convincing Thomas. And so maybe if we can feel at times that we are failures, I can't even convince the people right around me to believe in the resurrection. I can't convince them to believe the basics of the life of faith, of virtue, or the people with, with whom I live. I just can't convince them. Okay, the apostles were failures too. Um, they fail a few different times uh, in their apostolate. But, okay, um, our Lord shows up, right? It's not, um, it's not all lost. Our Lord shows up, and he, he ends up convincing Thomas. And that's, that's what it'll be in our apostolic works, right? We may, we, we're going to do the best we can. We give everything we have. But, Lord, you show up. Right? You show up and you take the lead and you help. Um, you are ultimately the one. And even just the way, you know, this detail, both times the door is locked and Jesus just walks right in, right? However, that would have been. Uh, we don't really know the, the physical properties of the glorified body except he could walk right through walls and through doors and still eat food. Um, that's even in, I think it's in Luke's gospel. He's like, All right, look, I'm not a ghost. Give me something to eat. I also think we want to be very careful. And yeah, I was talking to a friend about this the other day. That we don't kind of make our risen Lord into a robot, right? It could be very easy. He only says a handful of words. Um, it's a bit more dialogue-wise in John's gospel. But post-resurrection, so but we don't want to be like a robot, right? Like just peace be with you. You know, peace be with you. Like, no, um, our Lord still had a personality, right? He was still fully human. So he still had a personality. And so he's still the person of Jesus. Um, and you get that personality, right? When he explains to those, those two guys walking down the road to Emmaus, right? Oh, man, foolish, heart of heart to believe, right? And then he, he just explains the scripture to them and lights their hearts on fire, right? When he, when he takes... Peter said, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me? Do you love me more than all of these? Right, our Lord's personality here as he enters, but enters through the locked doors. And that too shows us that no matter what doors somebody puts in place, no matter what ways someone tries to lock out Jesus, Jesus, nothing, nothing can keep you out. Like no, nothing stops you. There's no door. And not just a physical door, but also the doors that people put up in their hearts. And we're just going to lock you out of my, I'm going to lock you out of my life. I'm going to lock you out of my heart. No, there's no door that can stop our Lord from entering in and offering us peace, convincing us, right? Jesus wants to convince us. He wants to change our mind, change our life. I think also um, this whole thing can give us an opportunity to reflect on on the role of sensible consolation, right? This, um, Thomas wants something sensible. He wants, to, he wants to feel it. And oftentimes, Lord, when we come to you in our prayer, like, how do you know you had a good time of prayer? How do you know it was like good prayer? Because you feel good, right? Like, that I, I feel good, so I had good prayer. No, that, it, it shouldn't have to rely on feeling, right? It's not just about I feel good, so my prayer was good. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. Jesus, it's not just about the sensible consolation, but sometimes we could want that. Jesus, I just, want to, I just want to feel comfort. I just want to feel security. I just want to feel peace, right? I want to feel these things. Again, that, that sense of, of touch, uh, but like the interior sense of, of feeling these things. And emotions. I want the emotion. And it could, you know, there's one sense in which all right, like our Lord, our Lord can give that to us. When we really, he could totally give that to us out of his total love for us. Jesus, you can, you can give us that emotional rest, that, that emotional peace. But in a deeper way, even if we don't feel it, even if we never feel it again, um, we still have to believe. Right? And that's faith even in the midst of darkness. The biography, uh, not the biography, but the collection of letters of Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light, is so beautiful. Come Be My Light, right? Light in the darkness. Because Mother Teresa had these incredible, St. Teresa of Calcutta, had these incredible mystical experiences, right? Where she was so mystically close to our Lord. But then, and that led her, these mystical experiences led her to found the missionaries of charity, right? And she was following our Lord. And from the day that it was like, it's the actual day that she founded the missionaries of charity, it all went away. And she felt nothing for the entire rest of her life, right? And I think it could be easy to say in a period of dryness and desolation in our prayer, like, all right, I'm a little desolate right now. It'll get better. Like, uh, consolation will come back. No, sometimes for the great saints, consolation never comes back, right? Sensible consolation never, ever comes back. For Mother Teresa, it never came back. Now, she was probably receiving more graces than any of us could ever even handle in our life. We'd probably die with love if we experienced just a drop of what Mother Teresa was experiencing, you know, in her life in that dryness. But she, her heart had been so expanded that even that outpouring of grace felt like dryness, 
and she identified with our Lord. But she still was able to say, my Lord and my God, right? She was still able to make that, that act of faith, particularly to see Christ in the poor, my Lord and my God. And that's, you know, anytime that we're feeling the, um, the dryness, anytime we're feeling the difficulty, we too should just say those words of Thomas. We say them at the beginning of every time of prayer um, here in these, these Friday night meditations. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, right? Um, and so to say that, like, okay, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm having a tough day. My Lord and my God, right? I still believe. Um, I do believe. And it's not about feeling. It's not about seeing. It's I believe with faith. Mary is the mother of our faith. We should ask our mother. You know, again, she was probably present in these scenes. You wonder how maybe she was praying, interceding for Thomas. Maybe if she had any side conversations with our Lord in that week, that's another beautiful uh, meditation on how maybe Our Lady was having these kind of, you know, encounters with her son. Um, Maybe she's interceding for Thomas and talking to our Lord about him. Uh, There, keeping the apostles company too. Um, We should ask our mother to pray for us. You know, mother, pray for us. Uh, Increase our faith. Uh, Help us to be faithful and committed to your son uh, and so that we can always confess um, Jesus to be our Lord and our God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.